Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, and what a great morning of worship together. Unlike what Pastor Larry said, I did not cut Tim off. We could have kept singing had we wanted. It was a beautiful morning already of worship, and I'm excited to worship along with you as we continue this morning in the second week of our series going through the book of James. Well, very early in life, we start to rank ourselves. And it's easy when we're young to know where we fall on different rankings. It's easy to know where you fall in your dodgeball skill when the teams come to be picked and everyone else starts to get picked above you. And it's easy to know where you lie. As you get older, your status becomes clear as you go through sports and through school and through music and other activities. And it can be easy for us, and it's a thing we just pick up from a young age of how we rank ourselves according to this world and how we compare to other people. And subconsciously, whether we think about it or not, it's easy for each and every one of us, no matter how young or old we are, to compare ourselves and to rank ourselves in status versus the people around us. And this morning as we open God's word together, James is going to go after one of the prominent ways that we rank and we critique ourselves against the people around us. And he's going to show us this morning and how our true status, where it lies in society, is not a matter of from an earthly perspective, but actually our heavenly perspective. Why our heavenly status is what matters far more than any ranking or system that this world would have to give to us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, would you open them, please, to the book of James, the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're just going to be looking at three verses this morning. We've titled this series in James, Real Faith, Real Life. It's because James speaks to such a practical level, struggles and things of life, not only 2,000 years ago, but James is such an easy book for us even now to read and to see that truth conveyed into our own lives. And that truth that James says to us is often a truth that's countercultural to our understanding. It goes against the truth that we would think from a worldly perspective. This certainly was true in the passage we looked at last week. We are to consider it, to count it joy when trials come our way. That is a, a line of thinking that is totally backwards to what the world would tell us. But Pastor Ed walked us through these first verses and how we're to consider it joy when trials and difficulties of many kinds come our way. And in the midst of those trials, we are encouraged to pray for wisdom from God, wisdom to see how those trials that God sends into our lives could be used for our greater good and for God's glory. The verses today, verses 9 through 11, that we're going to be looking at, perhaps at first glance could seem like this kind of is a quick change. But for James, this is a continuing on this theme of considering it joy in the trials of life. He'll go back to trials again in the passage next week in verse 12. And he stops just for a few moments. And he talks about the great trial, a great trial that his audience may have been facing in their time. And how this idea of rejoicing in the trials 
affects a very real life situation that they find themselves in. So James chapter one, starting in verse nine says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. This passage is going to give us three reasons that we should focus on our heavenly status. And the first reason is this, is the riches of poverty. The first reason to focus not on our earthly status, but on our heavenly status, is the riches of poverty. See, this is a very short verse, but there's so much here in just these few words. First, James is addressing a brother. This isn't a gender term, but this is a generic way of saying a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. He's talking to Christians. And he identifies a specific subset of believers, those who are lowly. Those who are lowly. There is a wide range of use from this word throughout Scripture. Sometimes it just talks about those who are downtrodden. It's a word often associated with widows and with orphans. But in this context, specifically because of what he's going to contrast the lowly with in verses 10 and 11, which are the rich, we know that James here is specifically addressing those who are poor, who are materially poor in the world. Let the lowly brother, the poor believer, let him boast in his exaltation. Now, why does James, in the middle of this letter, near the beginning, suddenly jump into the seeming excursus on poverty and those who have little material possessions? There's a few reasons for this. First was just the culture of the day. In our world today, we have, which lots of us today would fall into, what is known as the middle class, where no one is considered, and we aren't considered in extreme poverty or poor, but we're by no means we would call ourselves wealthy or rich. That middle class did not exist in any way in the ancient world. In fact, scholars think that at the time that James is writing this letter, as much of 90% of the population of the ancient Near East would have been poor. 90% of the population would have been considered those in poverty and poor. And so James writes to the poor because that in likelihood is a large part of his audience. But he also is writing it based on circumstances that have come their way to who James writes this letter. James was a church leader in the city of Jerusalem. And we can see some of James' prominent influence if you read through the book of Acts. What happened in Jerusalem is because he writes here to Jewish believers, there was persecution. And so those believers had actually left Jerusalem, escaping for their very Lives And he writes this book, it says in verse 1, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He's writing to Jewish believers who have scattered, escaped Jerusalem and scattered throughout the whole world. Many of whom, because of them running away for their lives, have likely suffered serious economic consequences to it. Those who maybe were wealthy because of their sacrifice of following Jesus and what it has cost them now find themselves in poverty. And James' call to the lowly brother is to boast. To boast, to take pride. This word in other places, it's translated to rejoice. 
It's the same word in Romans 5.3 that says that we should rejoice in our sufferings. We should boast in our sufferings. To see the, the lowly brothers should boast in what? In his exaltation. In his exaltation. What does a poverty-stricken believer have to exalt about? This isn't just for any lowly person, but specifically for the lowly believer. What is there to rejoice in, to exalt in? For James and for the New Testament, there is a lot. Ephesians 2 says this. It says that God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. No matter our material circumstances on this world, for James, he saw an immeasurable riches of the future that we have to look forward to. It says this in the book of Philippians. It says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so scripture has a great reason to exalt and to look forward to the future, no matter what our perspective is here. For James, his call to these lowly brothers is to focus not on your earthly status, but on your spiritual status. Don't focus on your earthly status as one who may be looked down on by others, but to focus on your spiritual status. It's a reminder for us today that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There are no seats at this church that you have to pay extra for to sit up front and the rest of you can sit in the balcony. You can sit anywhere you want. There are no second-class citizens in the family of God. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, we are all now one. It says this in Galatians chapter 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. That word sons there is intentional because it was the son who was an heir, who got the inheritance. We are each an inheritor of the kingdom of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In this passage, New Testament looks at three of the largest social distinctions of the day. He takes on race, Jew versus Greek. He takes on economic status and slave and free. And he takes on privilege of the ancient world in male and female. And he says, all those things on which you used to rank yourselves, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not that you cease to be male. It's not that you cease to be Jew. It's not that you're no longer that. But those distinctions amongst yourselves no longer matter. Why? Because you are all now one in Christ Jesus. Each of us are now one 
in Jesus Christ. And so no matter what status we have in this world, we can rejoice in our exaltation of what God has made us to be. The passage there in Galatians says that we have put on Christ. The imagery is literally you've clothed yourselves, you've dressed with Jesus. It's the image I like to think of kids going to school all dressed in a school uniform. And if you were just to sit and watch them, you'd have no idea about their families, their backgrounds, the wealth of their family, because they're all dressed and look the exact same way. That's how we are in Christ. The status symbols that the world would place on us have all been erased because the status symbols of this world pale in comparison to the status of being a child of God. To those who are here today and who may consider themselves lowly, marginalized, whether that's economic or in some other way, you find yourself pushed down, downcast. When you think of the status of this world, you immediately think, I am very, very low. just want to remind you that you are welcome in the family of God. You are welcome in the family of God, no matter the circumstances of your life. doesn't matter if you slept last night in a home you own, a home you rent, or you didn't sleep in a home at all last night. You are welcome here. Not only are you welcome, but you are encouraged to exalt in what God has done for your life. Remind yourself amidst the distress and the pressures of life that you are a child of God if you've placed your faith in him. And that this suffering that James talks about, you can count it all joy. Why? Because what you have coming is of far greater value than anything this world could offer to you. So the lowly should boast in his exaltation. The riches of poverty helps us to see what truly matters. Verse 10 says this, And the rich in his humiliation... Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. The second reason to focus on our heavenly status is the poverty of riches. The poverty, the emptiness, the nothingness that comes from riches. Rich here is clearly contrasted and it's talking about the material wealth of this world. James is here Specifically, most likely talking to believers. He's talking not about the rich as in contrast with the Christian, but those who are a brother, those who are followers of Jesus Christ and have wealth. And this is a theme of James. He talks about the rich regularly. He'll come back to the rich both in chapter 2 and in chapter 5. And he encourages them to boast in their humiliation. To boast in their humiliation. It seems confusing at first, but what James is reminding them is the same thing he reminded the lowly brother. That wherever you find yourself in life, to think of your spiritual status over your earthly status. To think of your spiritual status over your earthly status. No matter how much money you have, the only way you have salvation is through faith in a man who was poor and was homeless and identified with the least of these and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's where your hope lies. No matter how much money you have in this world, 
And ultimately, you can rejoice in his humiliation because ultimately it just means you're losing it all at the end. Because no matter how much you have, you won't be able to take it with you. Jeremiah put it this way, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. For the rich... The command from James was not to boast in your status, your wealth, the prestige that you have, but to humble yourselves and realize that you are the same as your brothers and sisters who have very little. See, it's easy for us to see how in speaking of trials, the the idea of talking to the lowly brother fits right in. But I think for James, just as being poor is a trial, so is being rich. Just as poverty is a trial, so is being rich. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, if I have to pick my problems, I'd like to pick the rich people problems, please. Those are the ones that I would want to have. The truth is, for most of us here today, when we read this passage, that's where we should identify ourselves. Most of us compared to the rest of the world, are exceedingly wealthy. Now, why don't we think this? Because I wake up in the morning and I don't think about how rich I am, and most likely most of us don't either. This week I was reading about the the founder of Amazon who bought a house uh, somewhere for $165 million because he is worth right now $131 billion. It's like the average American spending $122. I think to myself, yeah, I'm not rich. Well, that's not rich. That's just an entirely different category, right? That that is entirely something else. But when we think of ourselves in regards to our brothers and sisters around the world, we identify with the rich. The median income in Chicago is somewhere between $57,000 and $60,000 a year, which puts us squarely in the top 99.5 percentile of the world's. Meaning if you make what the average Chicagoan makes, if you find 100 people from around the world, you're the richest person in the lineup. If you were to go home today and take out all the clothes from your dresser and closet and to pile it up on your bed, you likely own more clothes yourselves than the average family anywhere else in the world owns amongst their entire family. We have machines that do all our work for us. It cooks our food, sometimes in just 30 seconds in the microwave. And then after that, it does our dishes. We just load it in and press a button. It cleans our clothes. We sit on the couch and our machines entertain us for hours. And then we get in our machines and we just, with a touch of a finger and a little push of our foot, we fly down roads to get somewhere else. The reality is most of us are wealthy. And when we read these passages about the dangers of being rich, it's easy for us to pass them off because we all know of people who have far more than we do. And it's easy to say, oh, those people who live on the North Shore, those people who own the big apartments and condos downtown, this is talking about them. But the reality is for most of us, it's talking about us 
this morning. Dangers of being rich. The rich should boast in their humiliation. This is a call to us here in America in 2020. And this goes so against our world because the truth is for us in the world we live in, it is easy to seek security and satisfaction in our stuff rather than our Savior. We have been so blessed materialistically that it is easy for us to seek security and satisfaction in our stuff rather than in our Savior. See, what James is calling here, he's not calling for a life of poverty. He's not saying you need to give everything away and join your lowly brother. But what he's saying is, man, for those who have stuff, it's really hard to see that what you really need is Jesus. It's really hard when your life is filled with all of these good and entertaining things to see that what you really need more than any of that is God. Where is your security this morning? Is it in your bank account, your retirement funds? Is it in the hope for the job promotion that will come down the way? Is it in anything of this worlds. Because when we are blessed materialistically, it's easy to start to put our security in those things. Where's your satisfaction at this morning? Are you satisfied if you just get the next thing, the other new phone, the next new car that comes out, this, that, and the other, and it's just this endless cycle of your life filling with more and more stuff? Because you're trying to satisfy your life with things when there's a hole in your heart that can only be satisfied by the Savior. See, for most of us this morning, compared to the world, the status of our lives are quite well off. And perhaps the richest, excuse me, perhaps riches are the biggest trial in our lives. Because we live in a very affluent country, in an affluent city. And we are surrounded by a world that thinks just more, just better, and that's what you need. And realizing that all of the stuff of this world could never satisfy you goes so contrary to every message you hear every time you turn on the TV or open your phone or drive down the highway. I was struck a few years ago when our church went through in the small groups the book, The Treasure Principle. And in that, the author talked about how when each of us get a raise or we come upon some unexpected money, we assume that it's a blessing. And he said, what if the raise you get isn't a blessing? What if it's a test? What if it's a test? Because as the passage was read earlier In Matthew chapter 6, the words of Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the Bible and James here talks about the rich man and his need to, to watch himself from that. It's not because God's up in heaven and he wants more of your money. It's because God's up in heaven and he wants your heart. And he sees how this world has pulled and it's 
just suck the life out of us as we seek to find our satisfaction in the things that this world could give us versus what God could give us. The emptiness that comes from the things that this world could give, riches and wealth. The status that we need is not an earthly status, but to focus on our heavenly status. James continues, says this in verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The third reason to focus not on your earthly status, but on your spiritual status, is the brevity of life. The shortness of life on this earth. James points out that no matter how wealthy, no matter how much you own, no matter how much you have, life is short. Life is short. This idea of life being like a flower, like grass, is a common metaphor used throughout Scripture. Remember, this isn't a flourished environment in which the Israelites lived, in which James writes this letter, but a desert environment. Whereas the the flowers would pop up and the heat would come and the flowers would quickly fade away. Psalm chapter 103 puts it this way. It says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. See, what James reminds us of this morning, why we shouldn't focus so much on our, spiritual, on our earthly status, but instead on our spiritual status, is that this life is short. Don't live today as if you'll live forever. Don't live today as if you will live forever. I know you came to church maybe to be encouraged this morning. I'm just going to encourage you with this. You're going to die. (laughs) Unless Jesus comes back soon, we will all die. And the reality of this is that for many of us, it will come sooner than we think. It will come sooner than we think. Three weeks ago today, Our world was rocked by the very sudden passing of Kobe Bryant and the eight other people who were with him on the helicopter crash in Southern California. And it was interesting as I was watching interviews on prominent sports and news networks that day of people reflecting not only on his life, but just on life in general. One former NBA player now works in the media said this, Today is a hard day, and I hope that everyone at home, you give that person next to you, no matter what you have wrong in your life with them, it might be small or big, but just let it go. This is about life being precious with every second we have here. A few days after that, his most famous, Kobe Bryant's most famous teammate, Shaquille O'Neal, was interviewed, and he said this, I'm going to try and do a better job just reaching out and just talking to people rather than procrastinating because you never know. Life is too short. See, we know that life is short. In our heads, we know. We see how quick time has passed. We know that life is short. 
But it's in moments like this when we feel the shortness of life. When we feel the shortness of life, it changes our perspective. And these men clearly were hit with how short their lives were because they were feeling the weight of it themselves. My hope is say that God's word would help us to feel, not just to know that our lives are short, but to instead feel it ourselves. To feel the shortness of life. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, tells us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. When we feel the shortness of life, it puts all of life into perspective and it gives us the priorities that we need to have in this world. In the context here in James chapter 1 of speaking of the rich man, it's a reminder to us not to waste our lives pursuing this. Not to waste our lives pursuing an earthly status, earthly wealth, earthly influence, for it will all soon fade away. If you think of Kobe Bryant, he had all the status that anyone could have in anywhere in the world. Wealth, fame, influence, power, he had it all. And it was gone in just the blink of an eye. And I can guarantee you this, when he stood before God, God didn't ask him how many championships he had won or how much he was worth. See, Psalm chapter 49 reminds us, Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away, and his glory will not go down after him. We spend so much of our lives pursuing things that ultimately don't matter. Pursuing status in this world that ultimately will be gone the moment we take our last breath. And so James' call to us today is to see ourselves not from an earthly perspective, (coughs) excuse me, but from a heavenly perspective. It's not to see ourselves and to care how the world sees us, but to care much more how God sees us. He points out how no matter your circumstances, no matter how poor you are, what you have in Jesus Christ is far greater than anything this world could offer you. So you can boast in that today. No matter how well off we are, that ultimately it's of little significance. And that we should not boast on our power, our positions, our wealth, but instead we should boast just in this, that we know Jesus. It's a reminder that our lives are short. How would you spend this week differently if you knew it was the last week of your life? Life is short. How would you spend this week differently if you knew it was the last week of your life? Is there someone in your life that you need to reconcile with, that if you knew you were going to pass, you would make that phone call. Why not this week? Because you don't know how much time you have. Are there conversations that you would want to initiate with a friend, with a coworker, with someone that you love, 
but you're shrinking back in fear. But if you knew you only had a week, you would have that conversation. Why not have it this week? Because you don't know how much time you have. Is there someone in your life that you just need to give a hug to and tell them you love them? Why not do it this week? Because you don't know how much time you have. If you only had a week to live, would you say, well, now it's time for me to get serious about what happens after this life, about what there is beyond just this life? Don't wait, because you may not have more than a week. Life is short. Living for the things of this world are ultimately empty. Our boast no matter how rich or how poor we find ourselves, should always be in this, that we know God and that God knows us. God, we thank you that through Jesus Christ, we can know you. God, as it says just a few verses earlier, God, we need wisdom from you on how to apply this passage to our lives. God, would you expose in our own hearts where materialism, desire to find our security and our safety and our significance, is in anything other than you? God, would you root out, expose the idols of our hearts? And as we see those, would we be quick to confess them to you? God, may our boast today, no matter what status we find ourselves in life, no matter where we see ourselves on the scales, may our boast never be in anything of this world, but it's the fact that we know you and that you know us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.